0: How you deal with your sin is directly related to how you experience joy. Do you confess and repent? Or do you make excuses and denials? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah explains the connection found in 1 John. If the joy in your life is missing, this might just help you find it. From Living in the Light, here's David to introduce the conclusion of his message, The Games Christians Play. Well, uh, John is very honest about all this. When he
1: writes to us in his first letter, he tells us that some people say they have no sin. Some people say uh, that they're not guilty or they don't have any penalty for it. Some people just deny reality. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> do you, do you notice that in our culture today that the denial of reality is one of the one of the fastest growing practices in. All of life. I mean, there used to be some semblance of honesty and integrity. Now people, I mean, they can lie to you over and over and over again. They can get caught in their lies. Um, and the next thing you know, they're lying again. There, there's no truth in them. And the Bible says you can't do that as a Christian. If you want to have the joy in your life as a believer, you have to be a person of truth. we'll have the finishing of that discussion here in just a moment. But first, don't forget, folks, we're going to Israel. And uh, I remember when we first started talking about it, it sounded like it was a long, long time away. But it's March 22nd. Uh, It's not very far away. And uh, you need to make your reservation if you're planning to go with us. The tour lasts from March the 22nd to April the 1st. It's 11 days We're going to visit uh, many, many places in Israel and spend a lot of time in Jerusalem. Um, You really need to find out about this. You can do that by going to our website, and there you will find a button that talks about the tour to Israel. And if you push that button and get that information, you can make your reservations Uh, We we are so surprised at how many people are going to Israel with us, and we'd like for you to be among those. Uh, We've been very uh, candid about the fact that Israel is a safe place to go, and if it were not, we would not be inviting you to go with us. And uh, we keep our eyes on all of that going forward, and we think this is a great opportunity to go visit the place where Jesus walked. Please consider it. And we hope you'll come with us. Well, right now we need to um, get back to our discussion of First John. First John is a great book of assurance for all believers. We chose to study it for these first few days of the month of December. So you say, Pastor, you just caught me already in this message.
2: I'm a Christian, but I've started to get back in the darkness a little bit. I'm starting to avoid the light. What do I do? Well, here's what you do. Two things. Number one, the changing of your walk. Notice verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. What that means is you're walking along here and you started to walk into the darkness. And all of a sudden you are confronted with this truth. What is your response? You turn away and you walk back toward the light. You walk back toward the church. You walk back toward the word. You walk back toward your Christian friends. And you begin to live again. You repent To repent means to change your direction, to go 180 the other way and start to walk. You say, well, I don't feel like it. Well, be obedient and do it. Just do it. You know, I don't know why we have to feel like everything that's good. We have to just do some things. Can I get a witness? How many of you felt like getting up this morning? I'm glad you got up. I'm thankful that you did. You have to do it. And John says, if you're walking in the darkness... You have to change your direction and you have to begin to walk in the light. Now notice, not only is there the changing of our walk, but there's the cleansing of our heart. He says, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I want you to get the impact of this. When we recognize that we have been walking in the darkness and we turn from the darkness and repent of our sin and begin to walk in the light, here is God's wonderful promise to us. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. Literally, what this means is that the blood of Jesus keeps on constantly cleansing us from the sins of omission and the sins of ignorance and the sins we know nothing about in our lives because we have not grown in grace enough to see that they are really sin. That there's an automatic cleansing that goes on in our hearts when we are determined to walk in the light. Did you know that? That when we are doing as we believe God wants us to do to the best of our knowledge, the Bible says God provides for us this automatic cleansing of the sins we don't even know about. How many of you think that you may have committed some sins this week that you are not aware of? So what do you do with those? The Bible says when you walk in fellowship with the Lord, he cleanses those sins. He makes them clean. What a wonderful promise that is. You don't have to lose your joy If you're in that situation two things change your walk and accept the cleansing of the Lord and you can have joy again it's that simple no it's not easy believism it's just the simple truth of the Word of God we forfeit our joy because we deny the power of sin now notice secondly here's the next if we say we forfeit our joy when we deny the presence of sin and this is in verses 8 and following here's the claim verse 8 if we say that we have no sin now there were some in john's day as in ours who declared that when a person became a follower of christ his sin nature was eradicated there are well-known bible teachers today who teach that a believer has only one nature and that's the good nature he doesn't have a sin nature i do not know what in the world they do with this particular verse When somebody tells me they don't have a sin nature anymore, I always want to slap them upside the head, don't you? See what happens. See if if they respond uh, and turn the other cheek. I think you can probably solve that argument pretty quickly along the way, don't you? The other thing is if a guy says, I don't have a sin nature, I want to talk to his wife. How about that? Well, the condemnation of such a claim, according to 1 John 1, 8, is if we say that, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. A person who says that they have no sin nature is simply leading himself astray. The truth is not changed. God is not deceived by their empty claim. And most believers aren't fooled either. John says that the truth is not in him. When we walk in darkness instead of light, we are deceiving others about our relationship with God. When we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. Don't let anyone ever tell you that you don't have a sin nature whatever their doctrine may be, you do. God didn't take away your sin nature, he gave you a new nature. And you heard the old poem that I quote often, two natures beat within my breast, the one is foul, the one is blessed, the one I love, the one I hate, and the one I feed will dominate. (laughs) That's the way it works. The nature that you feed will dominate. Here's the cure. If you think you don't have any sin, John just avoids the whole deal. And he says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God has wonderfully provided for the sin of the believer. He says that we are to confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did you know what the word confess means? It doesn't mean to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me. And then flippantly go on. The word confess is a hard word. The word confess means, listen to me. It means to say the same thing about your sin that God says about it. It means to admit your sin. Don't cover it up. We are in such an environment today in our churches where we won't do almost anything but ask people to repent or confess. We want to be positive. We don't want to do anything to disturb them. And so we never deal with it. And I want to tell you something. If you're in sin, you will never get joy back in your life until you face it and confess it. Let me give you an illustration of what it means to confess your sin. You remember David's sin with Bathsheba? That story in the Old Testament. Here was the king who sinned against Bathsheba and sinned against her husband, sinned against the nation. In Psalm 51 and verse 4, here is a great illustration of the reality of confession. Here's David. Against you, God, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless. When you judge. David said, Lord, I've sinned against Bathsheba. Yes, against her husband. Yes, but my sin's primarily against you. Confession is to acknowledge your sin to God and agree with God about that sin. Proverbs tells us that he who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So are you getting the picture here? John is wonderfully outlining for us what we do if we get caught in the sin situation. And everyone, sooner or later, has to walk into that because we're just human. We don't want to deny the power of sin and walk in darkness instead of light. We don't want to deny the reality of the sin nature. And here's the last one, which is probably the most common one for all of us. We forfeit our joy when we deny the practice of sin. 1 John 1.10 and following. Notice the claim. Here again is this simple outline. The claim, 1 John 1, 10, is if we say that we have not sinned. This is a person who denies the reality of sin in his own life. He rationalizes his sin. Perhaps someone has pointed out some sin in his life and he just refuses to accept the fact of this sin. This is a very prevalent practice in our day. People just won't admit that what they're doing is sin. They'll call it indiscretion they'll call it a mistake we call it human frailty or personal weakness or hereditary conditioning or environmental kickback (laughs) whatever happened to sin have you noticed that when others have prejudices well you just have convictions when others are conceited you're just self-confident when others are lazy You're just very busy when others are presumptuous. You just take initiative When others lose their tempers, you just show righteous indignation Have you noticed how we do that we excuse ourselves with all this verbiage? Don't push your morality off on me. We say one to another this might be a sin for you But it's not a sin for me, you know The issue isn't whether it's a sin for you or a sin for me. Is it a sin against God? There are not two lists (laughs) You can't go and pick up your favorite list of sin. I want this list. This is my kind of list here. There's only one list. There's only one Bible. There's no two. And you don't get to choose. God has given to us his moral code. And in that moral code, there are certain things he asks of us and demands of us. None of them are for our hurt. They're all for our help. God doesn't say don't do this such he can be just an authoritarian in the sky. He says don't do this because if you do this, it will ruin this that I have for you. God always tells us to say no to something so that he can say yes to something better. And when you ruin your life through some vice or some habit, you are only destroying God's perfect purpose for you. He's not saying don't do this because he wants you to be uncomfortable and unhappy. He's trying to keep you from going down a road that will destroy your life. One writer has warned us of the danger zone in which we are living today. Listen to these words. In short, for the Christian church, even its recently popular seeker services, to ignore, euphemize, or otherwise mute the lethal reality of sin is to cut the nerve of the gospel. For the sober truth is that without full disclosure of sin, the gospel of grace becomes impertinent, unnecessary, and finally uninteresting. What he's saying is that when we try to have positive services all the time, never say anything that's ever going to confront anybody. Never read the word of God where it says this is sin and then honestly report it. We are not helping our people. We are hurting them. We are not making, they might walk out of this service with the warm fuzzies, But when they get back to the reality of life, the reality of the sin in their life is still there and they don't know what to do with it. How can you ever learn how to deal with sin if you don't even ever talk about it? How can you ever help people get through their problems with sin if you don't even recognize that there is such a thing? There are many people today who go to church week after week after week and they never ever hear the word because it's not positive. And I could go off on a tangent there, but I won't. Here's the condemnation John gives us in verse 10. When we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar, and his word is not in us. When we play this particular game, what we're doing is blaming God. We are making him a liar. He says we sin, we say we don't. Since we don't take the responsibility for our sin, we put the blame on God. For instance, he says he will not allow us to be tempted above that we are able. We succumb to temptation, so it must be God's fault. What's wrong with that? He should never have allowed these circumstances in our life. Blah, 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 blah. Have you seen that's where it is? And we always are excusing it. I just, well, pastor, it was just a weak moment. Or, you know, I I just walked by that place. I just happened to walk by, and the next thing I knew I was walking in. No, man, we got to get back to being responsible for who we are and what God has put in us. He's given us all that we need to be victorious. But when we deny the truth... When we walk in the darkness, when we ignore the light, when we stay away from the influences that can take us in the right direction, and we allow the influences that take us in the wrong direction to pull us into the vortex, we have no reason to believe that we will do anything other than what has happened to us. Notice the cure that John gives us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for also for the whole world. John uses the word children here. It's one of his favorite words. Points to the nearness of every believer to the Father in heaven. John writes to these little children who are believers, and he says that his hope and his goal for them is that they would not sin. Notice what he says. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. John isn't writing this to us so that we can sin. He's not about going out and sinning so that grace may abound. That's not what this is all about. He's saying, I've written these things to you so that you won't sin. But here's reality here. We're all flawed human beings. We're not perfect yet, can I get a witness? We haven't made it yet to perfection. And I don't know anybody who's ever lived sinless, perfect life except Jesus Christ. And so we are going to sin. That's just the way it is. All of us, everyone, from the preacher right down to the person in the last row. We will sin and so John says this my little children these things write to you that you may not sin but if anyone sins remember this you have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ I notice this the righteous so if you're walking in fellowship with the Lord and you do sin remember that there's one in heaven who is your advocate he's your lawyer he's your counselor and he stands before God and he's the righteous one And when the enemy would say, look at Jeremiah down there, what he just did, God says, yeah, but look at Jesus. He's his advocate and he's righteous. And he forgives your sin. God has made provision for us so that we might have joy. Notice, the advocate is not with God. The advocate is with the Father. And here I need to end this message with a very important explanation because I get asked a question about this a lot. How is it, that we preach and teach that when we are saved our sins are forgiven and that jesus died on the cross and he paid for all of our sins and we say past present and future all of our sins were paid for at the cross do you believe that if you don't understand it let me ask you this question how many of your sins were future when jesus died on the cross all of them so how many sins did he die for he died for all of your sin so what is this all about if our sins are forgiven at the cross Why do we have to go back and ask for forgiveness now? Here's the secret. There are two circles that we are born into when we become Christians. Listen carefully. We're born into the circle of relationship and we're born into the circle of fellowship. Now watch carefully. When you're born into the circle of relationship, that means God becomes your father. You become his son or his daughter. You are in a permanent relationship called eternal life. You cannot be unborn. And even though I don't think God would ever do this he might look at the way you're acting and say I wish but he won't (laughs) you can't be unborn you are his son he is your father and that is forever Amen? amen you cannot be unborn and you say well pastor I don't believe that well just hang in long enough and you'll figure it out you cannot be unborn but at the same time you were born into a circle of fellowship and that is kind of interaction with God and you can get out of that circle Because when you sin against a holy God, he cannot, uh, he won't send you to hell for that if you're a Christian. He won't take away your eternal life. But you're going to notice something when you do that, and that is that it's hard to talk with him. It's hard to pray. It's hard to have fellowship. It's hard to read his word and let him talk to you. Why? You haven't broken the relationship. You've broken the fellowship. And the Bible says that if you want to get back into fellowship, you have to confess what you've done to the Father, and he will forgive you. Isn't that a very human thing? How many of you, your kids ever did anything that you really were upset about? I mean, we can all vote on that one, can't we? And how many of you did that to your parents? Amen. And what happens when that takes place is, I mean, you just aren't running around hugging and kissing each other. It gets real cold and tense, right? So what happens is you have to come back and agree with God that what you've done is a violation of the one who is light and ask him to forgive you. And immediately when you do that, fellowship is restored. You got it? You confess, you say the same thing, God, I know why I don't have my joy. My joy is gone because what I did yesterday violated your standard. Lord God, I see that now. I understand what I did and how wrong it was. And I realize that that hurts you. Lord, you love me so much. You sent Jesus to die on the cross and I'm the one that said I wasn't going to ever do anything to hurt Jesus because of what he did for me. And I did it. Lord, please forgive me. And immediately when you do that, you can feel the sense of his love and forgiveness come right through you. Anybody had that experience but your pastor? Isn't that true? Don't get to the place where you think if you sin, you lose your family. No, you just lose your fellowship. And when you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you're here today and you've lost your joy because you're out of fellowship with God, here's the way back. Just tell the Lord what you did. Acknowledge that it's wrong and you're sorry. Ask him to forgive you, and he will. And he will restore the joy that you've lost. I read a book recently by a a rather young theologian. His name is Cornelius Plantinga, Jr. And the book is called It's Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, The Breviary of Sin. I found this statement, and I want to close with this, and I want you to listen carefully because this is so important. He writes, self-deception about our sin is a narcotic. It is a tranquilizing and disorienting suppression of our spiritual central nervous system. What's devastating about it is that when we lack an ear for the wrong notes in our lives, we cannot even play the right ones or even recognize them in the performance of others. Eventually, we make ourselves religiously so unmusical that we miss the main theme that God plays in human life. The music of creation and still greater, the music of grace whistle right through our skulls, causing no catch of breath and leaving no residue. Moral beauty begins to bore us. The idea that the human race needs a savior <laughs> sounds rather quaint. Do you hear what he said? He said that when we refuse to acknowledge that there's sin and that sometimes there's sin in us and that we do wrong, we get ourselves tranquilized in such a way that we not only don't recognize the sin, we can't even recognize the good things that God does for us. We lose our whole moral compass. We get desensitized even to the good in others so that we just sort of become like zombies moving through life without any sense of the grace of God. Do you know there's one thing that is more powerful than any sin you've committed and that's the grace of God to forgive you. His grace is greater than all our sin. So if you want to have joy, don't go through life ignoring and denying that there's such a thing as sin. All of us deal with it. Accept it. Acknowledge it. Ask for forgiveness for it. And begin to walk in joy again. And keep short accounts with God. Don't build up a list that takes you four hours to go over with God. Just every night, review your day. Say, Lord, make me aware of whatever I might have done today that was an offense to you. Help me to be sensitive. You'll discover that as you do that, you will have a continual sense of the cleansing of the Lord, a continual sense of the advocacy of the Father, a continual sense of the propitiation for your sin, a continual sense of joy, because you know that you and God are all right.
1: Amen. 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 Well, that's the first major lesson James Christians play. Uh, tomorrow, for the Friday edition, we're going to go on in the second chapter of 1 John. And uh, you remember this old hymn, Trust and Obey? And that's the title of our lesson. And that's tomorrow here on Turning Point. Friends, we are so excited about our annual devotional guide. We we'd love telling you about this, and I kind of like having it in my hands. It's Beautiful, soft leather. This year, it's blue and tan. The words are uh, on the cover are Every Day with Jesus, and they're in silver embossed into the blue leather. Every uh, major page in the inside of it has color on it, but most of all, every page has a devotional reading for that particular day. You can read this every day through the whole year. You can share it with someone else. It's not dated by year just by month month uh, and date so when you're finished you can share it with others. many of you have done that already and you've told me that you have read devotionals that are now circulating everywhere because you just you become a distributor and that's a good thing so really friends I'd like for you to have this and the only way you can get it is through a gift to Turning Point at the end of the year during the month of December December is one of the two major giving months for us on the radio June and December so your are sacrificial gift, your generous gift this month will mean so much to us and then be sure to ask for your copy of Every Day with Jesus the new devotional from Turning Point
0: have a great day Today's message came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor To let us know how God is using Turning Point to deepen your faith, write to Turning Point for God of Canada p.o. box 18098 delta bc v4 l 2 m4 visit our website at davidjeremiahca slash radio or call 800-946-4300 ask for your copy of david's encouraging new 365 day devotional for 2022 every day with jesus it's yours for a gift of any amount you can also download the free turning point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet Or search in your app store for the keywords, Turning Point Ministries. To access our programs and resources, visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Living in the Light, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society. Back again this year, the Home for Christmas channel from David Jeremiah and Turning Point Ministries. Fill your season with all your favorite holiday traditions music, carols, laughter, scripture, pageants, inspirational Bible teaching, and more. Start streaming your Christmas favorites and discover new ones completely free. And enjoy the Home for Christmas channel at home, in the car, or anywhere you need a little Christmas. Visit TurningPoint.tv to start streaming today. That's TurningPoint.tv. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca.
1: I have read that buying a car, new or used, ranks near the top of consumers' most feared experiences. Maybe it's negotiating the price, or fear of hidden defects that makes people wary. Regardless of the kind of transaction, everybody is looking for trust. Truth is like money. When we give and receive truth, trust is established. We give money to purchase a product, and we give truth to purchase trust. To the degree that we don't tell the whole truth, the trust factor is diminished. When you interact with people today, do everything you can to build the trust factor. Where trust abounds, fear is gone. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's trustworthiness on Route 66.
0: Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com.